Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Great episode today. We have writer Stephanie Streisand on. And big shout out to previous guest Becca Beberaji for connecting us. Real quick before we get to that interview, friend of the show and recent guest Alex Brzezlowski has a Twitch show, Try to Relax, which we talked about in his episode. I was on it last Thursday. It was a fun thing to be a part of. I did a fun, silly bit on birds, and I got some nice encouragement from him to do it, so I'm very thankful for that. You can watch the bit I did on my Instagram at Jason Far Picks. Also check out Alex's show on Twitch. Go to try to relax.live or twitch.tv slash try to relax. And it's on Thursday nights. Okay, on to today's guest. She is awesome. She has written some really great things. She talks about all of that, but she also talks a good bit about managers and, and acquiring a manager or an agent. Really great advice there. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Stephanie Streisand. When did you start at Magnet? How did we miss each other? I know, right? Um, three years ago. Oh, that's how we missed each other. Yeah, you were there a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that. I in researching you, I saw that you have... You've been uh, to a few different theaters and, and been on teams there, and you were at the Magnet back in, like, 2012 or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you had a you were writing on a couple of sketch teams. One of them uh, had Chet Siegel on it and uh, Sebastian... Connolly. Connolly, yes. That's his, yeah. I've, not, I've not met him. I've uh, heard and that also, he's a great guy. And uh, also Sarah... Pa, 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 pa. I do that all the time. Uh, Sarah, uh, she, she runs, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting everything. What's the feminist satire? Uh, the Reductress? Reductress, yeah. Oh, she's great, yes. So you were in New York at that point and yeah. you moved out to California. Um, were you, did you do UCB while you were here or when you were out in California? Yeah, no, I started UCB in 2004. Uh, okay, okay. I was there when, like, it. there used to be, like, are you watch, did you watch Cobra Kai? I have yet to watch it. I want to. I just haven't yet. I just finished it. That's why it's on the tip of my brain. But um, there was, like... Ali and Armando left UCB and started the pit and then Ali and Armando split. And, uh, there was like, I feel like it was only in UCB performers heads though. It wasn't like, I feel like pit performers didn't give a shit and magnet, uh, magnet performers definitely didn't give a shit. Uh, but it was like, you can't go there. You'd be a traitor if you like perform there, which is so crazy. <laughs> to think oh, wow. about now yeah it is that it was like limit your performances 
So, yeah, yeah. That was what theater? And, I mean, you said magnet uh, people didn't care. And UCB used to have, like, a... Yeah, well, the, I heard there was a big falling out. But, um, and I don't know the details. I just heard that there's a big falling out. So I didn't know that was uh, what was going on, you know, that, that people were saying, hey, don't do both. Um, there are a ton of people who are like, doing multiple theaters at the magnet now, so no one gives course, two shits now, there. I think performers have realized, like, don't let the theater use you. You use the theaters. <laughs> That's a great philosophy, honestly. I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of different opinions on how to run theaters. Of course, that's yeah. why there's so many. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think, regardless of what theater you're at, it should it should benefit you more yeah. than uh, the other way around. And right. uh, and you're at the pa at the Pack Theater. You've are you still there? I teach. Uh, I teach every once in a while at the Pack Theater now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, and that's. Yeah, I'm familiar with Brian James O'Connell. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. Oh yeah. And uh, he definitely is one who would say, like, you know, the the theater should not use the performer. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the you Pack, not, I think, you is... should not like be taking classes just to be eligible for one show a month. Right, that's his. Uh, that that is something I heard him recently talk about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and like I said, there are different theaters and different ways to run. You know, I'm I'm saying that just for people who run different theaters listening, oh, who have sure. a different opinion. Listen, we all have different opinions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was the thing when I was at uh, when I whenever I heard someone complain about the way a theater was run, I said, well, you can always. Start your own theater. <laughs> Start your own theater or just like look around at other theaters. There's always the great thing about all of these schools of thought is that they have different thoughts and you only benefit by learning different ones and then deciding what works with your voice. There's something to learn at everything. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You shouldn't, you shouldn't limit yourself to one school of thought. I agree. I agree. I mean, at least exposing yourself. Yeah. Uh, if you like one style more than another, then so then be it. But it yeah, you know, don't don't tell yourself that you shouldn't even try to learn a different way. Um, right. Which I think does happen. I do think some people think like, nope, this is the way I'm going to do it. And I don't care about how UCB does it. Right. Each successful theater is successful because they're teaching something correctly. Exactly. And that's why I always thought it was silly when I would hear from certain theaters criticize other theaters for how they do improv. And it's sort of like, but there are people successfully doing improv at those theaters. Right. So they're famous people who've been at I.O. and UCB and Magnet and, and Annoyance. Groundlings, Second, Second City. <laughs> right, right. So it's kind of ridiculous to say this is the only way to do it successfully or do it right. It was like, well, how are all those other people ha having success with doing it a different way? Right. You did a lot of sketch writing, I know, uh, but you've done, uh, you've been a performer at the uh, at the pack and uh, and at the magnet. Um, what are you teaching right now at the pack? Uh, well, I, I'm not teaching right now at the pack, but I recently, oh, right, right, right. uh, uh, I, I recently, uh, would teach pilot writing 
which was mm-hmm. an eight week mm-hmm. course where at the end you would have a, at least a first draft of a pilot that had your voice uh, and uh, that showed off your voice and humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would teach a one day workshop, which is like, here's the structure of a pilot. There's like math to it, just like there's math to improv or sketch. There's also math to writing a pilot. And so I would teach it using examples from television shows and stuff like that to show how the math is works in the pilots. And then um, the second half of the workshop would be how do you get representation? How do you get work without representation? Um, how do you get pitch meetings without representation? Uh, what do you need? to get repped what do you like just the basics of like career shit because I feel like a lot of theaters don't really teach that side um and it's really easy it takes like 30 minutes to teach that side it's just like let me sit you down this is what you need to do to get to where you want to be uh with when it comes to making money off of what you do wow that's really great that's very that's invaluable are you looking to do any online courses uh, to offer that sort of help for people or is everything just on pause because people don't even know how to move forward uh, right now in the industry? No, the, the last, the last couple workshops I taught were online. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you started comedy as a teenager, didn't you? Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Like I did. 15. Yeah, I did. Uh, what made you want to get into it so at such a young age, and what were you doing at that time? Um, I was um, the year before that. I was a CIT counselor in training at a summer camp, and I was removed from it for just being like a wacky, impulsive fourteen-year-old kid. And so the following summer, uh, there was like. Uh, I couldn't get a job at that camp because they were like, we don't want her. And then like when you're 15, you're too young to really be a counselor at any other camp. And um, so I was like, oh, I don't know what I'll be doing this summer. And my mom uh, said like the most mom thing, which was like, oh, this place called UCB has opened up and uh, it's taught by the person who taught Gilda Radner, which is, not true but um (laughs) but it's taught by people who were taught by the person who taught Gilda Renner and at the time I had like her one woman Broadway show and uh all that stuff and I was like oh I'll check it out um and they had an intensive a summer intensive so I spent it was like going to camp except everybody was much older than I was. (laughs) So they'd all like, they'd have class from like 10 AM to like 3 PM. And then they'd be like, let's go to the bar. And I'd be like, I'm going home. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll get ice cream, but (laughs) not going to the bar. Yeah. Uh, What was that experience like uh, in the classroom performing with uh, older people? I mean, uh, I've been in one class where there was a teenager and I wasn't anticipating that before. (laughs) um before I, I signed up um it it was um no one treated me weirdly uh, 
it was just like, oh, that's like, maybe somebody was like, oh, that's really, somebody said, that's really cool that you're starting so young. Cause somebody was from Chicago taking the class and they were like, oh, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, it's great that you're starting so young. Like you'll, you'll learn it really fast, you know, especially in level one, when you're like, uh, you're having tons of fun. Cause you don't, cause it's just like super fun. Uh, uh, when you don't totally, when you're not like in your head going like, I need to figure this out so that I can like advance or whatever. It's just super fun at the time. But uh, still there are those rules where it's like, oh, I keep on asking questions, fuck. But it's like, oh, well, because you're starting so young, it'll like click a lot faster. Your brain's more malleable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely that learning stage. Your, you know, your brain is is uh, still developing, so it's a good right. time to uh, learn those skills. Uh, it's also, you know, it makes more sense for someone to do a summer intensive when they're a teenager than for an adult to do a summer intensive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. A, it's a surprise. You were the only one, <laughs> the only fifteen-year-old yeah. there. Yeah. At the time, they didn't do like a teen outreach program. I think at the time, the only person I can think of that was a teenager was at the time was like Zach Woods. They didn't do a lot of like outreach for, for teenagers at the time. I I think my parents had to lie and say that I was 17 or 18 to, to get into the class. Maybe it was like 19. Like I feel like there was an age thing where my parents were like, no, no, she, she's, uh, she's 19. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good parents. I say, because that yeah. was a great thing for them to say, like, this would be good for you and let's get you in on that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's not like they were shooting you up with heroin. No. <laughs> you know, it was, no. I'm sure somebody will complain that uh, your parents did that, but I think those people are wrong. Uh, I think well, your parents are right for doing that. It was fine because it, yeah. it was 10 to like 3 and then you went, right. then you went home. Yeah. It was perfect hours to just go and learn a skill (laughs) yeah and then like some fridays or saturdays i would go uh into the city to like see a show and i maybe i would see somebody from the class and i would be like well bye have fun at the bar i'm gonna go back home (laughs) (laughs) no i love that story that's really cool so after high school what what were you focused on like once you were done with that intensive and you're here. Did you keep doing improv? Did you go off to college somewhere else and step no, away I from went, it for a while? I went to college uh, at Hofstra University. Okay. So I was able to keep on taking classes and do stuff. And, um, uh, and then I went to get my master's at John Jay uh, while I was still like writing shows and things like that. And then there was a point where I was like, what am I doing? Like, I, I either am going to do something in this field or it's like just for fun. And if it's just for fun, then like, why am I spending so much time and energy on it? This is something I really want to do. So I have to figure out what I need to do to make a, a living doing the thing that I really want to be doing. Very smart approach, uh, and that's part of the reason why I think it's so good that your parents got you involved with that so early on, because you could really hit the ground running 
later in life? It, well, I mean, I it always seemed like, oh, yeah, sure. But it really took me years to like go like, oh, people around me are in their 30s and they're not making a living off of doing comedy yet. So I need to like sit down and do you know Rocco Privatera? I don't, there's a Rocco that I've recently sort of gotten acquainted with. It might be the Does same person. Hair? Hair. Okay. Uh, We're talking about two different people, I think. Oh, right. But uh, he, in like 2010 or 11, he decided to do, um, he invited a bunch of people, whoever wanted to come, to meet him at a cafe uh, on January 1st and talk about what goals you wanted to set for this year and how you and what steps you would need to take. And the idea too was um, uh, you set your goals and like maybe your goals complement somebody else's goals and you could end up working with that person this year on two goals that complement each other. And uh, he and I happen to have complementary goals. He always wanted to write music for a musical I wanted to write a musical. Um, so the two of us got together and we wrote um, the 2017 Tony Awards, which eventually became the future Tony Awards. Um, and uh, that was through that. And there, I also was like, I wanted to make a web series. I wanted to, it was good to do that on January 1st because it really lines everything up. It's like, what steps are you going to take to get there? I do it now every year. And it's, it's been really helpful. I love that <laughs> advice, you know, January 1st, figuring out what you want to do and then thinking about the action steps that you have to take to get there. Uh, yeah, just like the little steps. And then, yeah. you know, every week or so, just like write down one small step you could take towards that goal. Whether it's such it's a like, good idea because it's a like a lot of the things that we want to do uh, with our lives at the beginning of the year, we end up not doing because it feels like such a daunting task when we say, I want to do this. And it's just this big goal. But when you yeah. say, well, what's the little step I can do this week to get myself closer? That makes it so much more tangible because all any of those big things are, are a series of little steps. Right. That's what nobody's an overnight success. People are overnight successes after seven years. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it is like someone could get overnight famous, but that's not success. Yeah, it's usually a seven year process. <laughs> success uh, is something that's been sustained. Right. Yeah, it's um, and having those little steps, it's easier to reach a little step than it is to be like, well, I want a job. I want a job tomorrow. Yeah. You sitting down and saying, I want to write for a web series. I want to do this. It's led you to create a lot of things because yeah. you have written a lot of digital videos and you created a TV series for DreamWorks. And it's no small fee. I mean, it was, it was 2018 that you created that series. Uh, it was called Maddie Paz is a Noob. Oh, yeah. Maddie Paz is a Noob about a kid who sees life as a video game and it's done in Let's Play mode. So... It's like you see cut scenes, quote unquote, but then uh -huh. when he's moving around and stuff, it's all POV. Wow. 
and and that's on Amazon, and that that was a series of uh, laying out your plans helped you get there. Yeah. Uh, when you started writing digital videos, which you've written for a lot of major companies and and uh, um, networks, mm-hmm. uh, how did you find your way into that? How did you get into that world? Um, uh, different ways, like um, the Maddie Paz is a noob came about because I got into the CBS Diversity Showcase and. Uh, through that, I met other really amazing writers, uh, and one of them happened to also be working for DreamWorks TV on something. And she said, "Hey, you know video games? They're looking for like a video game idea, like a, not for video games, but a television show that incorporates video games in some way. Do you have an idea for that?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, totally." Uh, and then I spent the rest of the night coming up with an idea that I totally already had. Uh, <laughs> and um, I pitched it and they liked it. And that's how that got made through like friendships made and like working and writing with people on the CBS Diversity Showcase got me that. Um, and um, with with other things, it, it would be like I would get a general with the production company and maybe something didn't uh, something that I pitched, like they didn't, they couldn't make something that I pitched, but they liked my pitches. And then they would think of me later on for another project and, and call me up and be like, Oh my God, uh, would you be interested in, in working on this project with us? We, we need to fill another spot. Um, so, uh, that's how I got to work on other things too. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, meeting people is, I mean, it's why they tell you the net to network. Because you never know <laughs> what person is going to lead you to something. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so like networking helped, uh, going to generals. Um, and, and generals are basically just like, I shower, do you shower? I'm not insane. Are you not insane? <laughs> <laughs> That's what most generals are. It's just <laughs> I'm not annoying. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a psychopath. You can hire me and uh, yeah. no one will get canceled. But it's also like you check out their place and it's like, uh, like, oh, I'm not a toxic person. Is this a toxic environment? Right, oh, no. right. <laughs> it's good to know. So you're it's like checking out. You're checking each other out. <laughs> For sure. Well, it's like any job interview or first date. You're definitely seeing. I mean, people yeah. talked about, I guess, with SNL, how like that. That meeting, especially for writers, that meeting is just is, is just the asshole test. Like, is this someone yeah. I want to spend all night with? <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's even. I feel like it's even crazier for us now because that, like, with most writing jobs, it's like, could I stand you from? 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Right. Whereas okay. SNL, it's like this We're pressure spend cooker. 24 hours <laughs> right. together <laughs> for several days in a week. And then okay. uh, <laughs> then we'll have a, a day off. And then we're back to seeing each other every to, hour of every day. Yeah. Uh, it seems very <laughs> intense. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I heard that's why that's part of the reason why they go three weeks on and then yeah. a couple of weeks off. Is because like, it's just a lot. I feel like that's. I I don't know how writers for SNL who have families do it. Like it's it's amazing what they're juggling. I don't either, because Mikey Day is around my age. And he's got a wife and a couple of kids. That's 
there must be like he must just have a a day planner right next to him at all times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Keenan, he's a he's a father and, and yeah, husband as I well. Don't, I don't know how any person juggles it. It's got that's gotta be so hard. For sure. Yeah. And I don't know. So Tina Fey, I think, had her children when she was on 30 Rock? Maybe, oh, so maybe there's a transition but even period. So, but even still, like. That was still intense. I don't know how. Yeah. Pe- I mean, famously, Amy Poehler did an episode of the show pregnant, pregnant. like, and That's then, right. like, very shortly after that, gave birth. Yeah. <laughs> I think she gave birth on a Saturday, so she was planning on doing the show, and then her water broke. And so, oh like, that day or the day before, she texted Seth Meyers and said, you're on your own, buddy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so crazy. Yeah. I Iconic. Mean, Iconic people. <laughs> I guess are the yeah. ones who can do that. Yes. I Yeah. It just, SNL seems so intense. So... <laughs> So you've worked on all these different things. You clearly learned what your voice was at an early stage. When would you say you found, how many years did it take for you to really find your voice that you knew was the voice you were going to be honing and and, uh, needed to sort of go in the direction of? Years. Uh, Because um, I didn't go to, I stayed at UCB for like just UCB for a while. And UCB teaches one way. And it's like, this is, these are these types of sketches. This is what we want. We want it to be like, boom, 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 boom. So, um, and then I took a class with Armando Diaz at the Magnet when, when it was kind of new. And I remember he was like, so what's everybody's goals in the class? And I was like, oh, to be a writer on SNL. And he was like, that's so specific. Why don't you like broaden <laughs> your uh goals a little bit why don't why don't you make your goal like creating a show and i was like mm, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about buddy <laughs> <laughs> but it but, turns out <laughs> but it's like uh it turns out he believed in me more than i did it uh, right but it's like Ar- armando's really really good at that yeah he, but like, it was just i didn't want to hear it at the time at the time yeah Oh my God, I was so young and stupid. Like <laughs> SNL is literally one show and there's hundreds of other shows. Oh, right. Yeah. And that's why it's so strange when you hear people who were just gunning for that show or like Daily Show for so long and then they get it and they 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 don't move away from thinking about what's next. They still just go like, okay, I'm here. What's next? And they're just never happy still because they just don't know what to do. And it's sort yeah. of like, well... Maybe it's because you didn't find out who you were before right. you did it. Maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. you didn't broaden your horizons enough. I, I would say once I, uh, there was a big, like, uh, I'm tired of trying to get on teams. I'm just going to do something cheaper, which is write my own show and try to just get a run of my show, which at first it's like, it's a lot of, not a lot of money, but it is money up front. But then you once you have a running show for a year, you don't have to pay anybody money. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so, so I did that, and through doing that is how I found my voice. Because it was, I was writing what I thought was funny and what I wanted to do for a year. I wasn't trying to like stay on a team. Um, 
uh, I wasn't trying to write to the tastes of the director or the teacher, right. which was something that happened a lot right. uh, at some of these theaters. Um, so uh, I got to like kind of learn my voice that way. Writing the web series helped me too. And then once I moved to LA, it just, uh, I figured it out. Uh, I got on a mod team in LA and once I got on that team, it was like, oh, this is it. This is what I've been gunning for all this time. <laughs> like, uh, and then I, uh, I did that for a year, but looking back, I should have done it for like two months. Oh, wow. And, That's and I, I got, I got a manager to come to the first show and mm-hmm. then I got ready during that and that's all i needed because you don't make any money off of it you're part of it you're part of a team as a writer as a writer your name's never spoken during the shows Mm. so you're like an invisible and the writer spends so much time with it the most time (laughs) yeah it's been a lot of time they don't get a lot of credit and uh it i mean it, it it doesn't move you either way I mean, I guess it depends on how you use it. I just couldn't figure out how to use it past going like, oh, I made this mob team. Do you want to come see the our first show? And they were like, yes. Then I got repped that way. But I've been through a couple of reps, but that was my first rep. I've heard that there's, for writers especially, like a, once you're in, you're, you're not set for, you know, but like you're in. Once you're in, you're in. It's probably easier to move forward or move on when you already are in. No, that's. uh, I think. I think maybe you can be like, oh, I, uh, I drop my manager. Well, I mean, if you don't have a manager anymore and you're going to get a new manager, you have to explain to the next manager why you don't have a manager anymore. Right. Okay. Well, I guess I'm thinking if uh, you have a manager and you want to switch to a to a different manager. Yeah. So you're not managerless. <laughs> no, you have to be managerless before going to a new manager. If you're if you're not happy with your manager, yeah. Um, can't you take meetings with other managers? Uh, they won't meet with you. They they have a uh the managers have like a a group. They're they come for like they love each other. They're a family. Okay. <laughs> Um, so they don't poach from each other, so they won't meet with somebody else's client. Okay. Okay. So you have to, you have to drop them. Yeah. You have to go meet. (laughs) You have to be brave enough to be like, I can go without a man. I know I'll get one if I, it's it's very, yeah. People treat managers like, oh, once I get a manager, then they'll just get everything for me. And that's just not how it works either. You got to work with the team with your manager. Mm Mm-hmm. I have a question about managers and and I don't I'm not a writer um, so I'm an actor but um, when it comes to working with your team or working with your managers what sort of advice would you give people uh, whether they're writers or not that can help them get gigs and get work um, that, that makes them sort of in concert with their manager communication Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like um, a, a lot of people I know who who get a man who recently get a manager 
um, they're almost afraid to call their manager or email their manager like, oh, if I call too much, they'll like hate me and get rid of me or like, oh, I can only call them if I have something to impress them with and blah, blah, blah. And it's, uh, it's really, you have to figure out your relationship with your manager. Like literally call them or email and be like, I'd love to set up a time and just say like, so how often can I call you? Or like, what, how should our schedule work? How should this relationship work? They work for you. They get paid if you get paid. Um, and some managers are like, uh, some managers, you know, they like a relationship where like they're the parent and you're their kid. And they're like, hey man, what are you doing this week? Or like uh, some managers are, are like, uh, you're on a team with them on a, I don't know football, but it's like, you do this and I do this. Okay, break. Like we'll attack from two angles to see if we could get this job. Um, and some managers are like, all right, you do everything and then I'll follow up to make you look more legit. Uh, okay. I mean, there's all different styles. There's all different types of relationships. And uh, that's why going to panels, uh, like managers are doing a lot of panels now online. Um, and uh, just industry does panels and stuff. And you can kind of like, you can hear the Q and a with them and, and get a feel for them and write down whether you like them or not. So when you're ready, you know who you know you would work well with. And so uh, it's all about working together and you shouldn't be afraid to call your manager. Yeah. Calling your manager only helps them as long as it's not like, why haven't you gotten anything for me? It's like, well, that's not how it works. <laughs> so like, You got to work together, but yeah, yeah you should, you should lay it out. Like, so do we talk every two weeks? Do we talk once a month? Like, what's the deal? How is this going to work? Just, just up top, just like figure out what it is, how you guys work together. And if you feel like they are not right for you, like if you don't like your manager, cause you've switched from a manager before, um, how would, how do you handle telling that person, uh, do you say like, Hey, I just need to move on. Or do you go into more detail? What, what was, what's the right approach? Um, I mean, being professional, um, it's a business. So it's, it's one of those conversations where it's like, Hey, you know, uh, I mean, you could get into specifics like some, if you want, where it's like, Hey, like I, I gave you this number to contact. They said they wanted you to contact them and you didn't contact them. And that's come up a couple of times. So I, I feel like maybe you don't really have time uh, for me like you do your other clients. So this isn't a good fit uh, or, or something to that, depending on why it is you're getting rid of, why it is you're firing them. Um but it, it's just like, it's just business. Um, oh, and there's also, going back, sorry. Uh, there's also the relationship where, like, the manager's your best friend. I know a couple of people in that kind of relationship uh, where they're just buddies. And you're like, oh, you guys go to trivia night together? That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that can work. I mean, it, it definitely is something for people to consider if it's the right sort of type of relationship um and 
I think a mistake that people make too is that they, people are like, I just need to be repped. I just need a rep. If I get a rep, then everything changes. And it's like, actually, one of the worst things you could do is just like grab any rep because then you're stuck with them for a year. And if they're not the type of relationship that, that you wanted from a manager, you're going to waste a whole fucking year. Right. Right. And if uh, you aren't happy with someone and maybe it's just, I mean, obviously you already said one caveat to switching is thinking like, they're not getting me any work. It's like, well, it's because it doesn't work that way. But what if you do feel that you don't see eye to eye and you don't feel like you're hearing from them when you do uh, reach out to them? Does that, you know, that to me would say like, okay, maybe that's a good time to move on. But, uh, you know, what are some other opportunities? What are some other situations where someone might be mistaken in thinking that they should move on? Because I could see people saying, uh, I don't know if I should tell them that they're you know, putting me up for the wrong type of gigs. So maybe they're just the wrong manager. And I could imagine in some of those cases, if you just talk to them. Yeah, you just have to. It's a lot of communication. It's um, if if you have uh, if you're an actor and your manager keeps sending you out for Shakespeare and you're like, well, I want to do comedies. That's just uh, like you guys need to sit down and talk. And it's like, hey, I appreciate all this Shakespeare, but I want to do modern day comedies. Um, I'd really love to be submitted for more of that. If they're like, look, there's nothing out there right now but Shakespeare. <laughs> um, but I, even then, it's like, it's like, well, you know that's not true. And it's just like, you have to come to them with opportunities. You can't just be like, I want these like hypothetical jobs that I don't know if they exist or not. It's like, these are things that I know are coming up. I would love to be submitted for them what can I do to help get be in the best spot to be submitted and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's, it's always about working with them. Sometimes they may not know, but if you'll, they might not know that that's what you want to go for. Um, sometimes managers will be like, Oh, I'm submitting you for uh, these types of shows over and over again for writing. And it's like, not your jam. And it's like, Hey, Uh, I feel, uh, you know, when there's like a problem, when they're trying to, uh, when the, when they're trying to give you writing notes that change your voice completely. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Then it's like, well, why don't you go get that fucking client? Right. Yeah. That's sort of like submitting someone to maybe Shakespeare and they're better for modern romantic comedy type you know or like a fox tv show it's like oh you don't know who this person is (laughs) you're right it's like if you're like i need you to go train in like um this type of stuff and just like really change who you are as like an actor or a writer or whatever then it's like okay it seems like you wanted a different client than you got so like why don't you go get that client and this isn't working between us. <laughs> right. Good advice. But acting, but acting is different, I guess. Of course, yeah. I'm not in the acting work because you need to expand, like, your your tool belt, right? Do actors mm-hmm. have tool belts? Is that what they say? How <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. do actors work? Um, <laughs> but uh, um, 
actors are always like learning and expanding what they can do and and everything but like you know if you're a writer and you're like stop submitting me for crime dramas and stop when I hand you a sample and don't be like yeah but how can you make this a crime drama (laughs) just be like okay like it's it's just seeing eye to eye and communicating it's like you know um uh, it's, it's all about communication and, and the relationship. If, if when you, after you talk to them and go like, Hey, I'm not interested in this, but I'm interested in that. Like I said, you give them some, some leads of like things that you know are happening instead of just like hypothetical, like I want to write for all of these shows that don't exist. Um, then it, it, it helps them work with you and it helps you work with them more. Um, but if they're if they kind of drag their feet and they're like, I don't care about these leads you gave me. You're gonna work for CSI Miami whether you like it or not. Then it's like, okay, we're not seeing eye to eye. <laughs> right. So that risk getting rid of one or, or firing a manager and then moving on to try to get a new manager. What sort of time frame did you give yourself? to get a new manager or how long did it take to get a new manager even? Uh, well, I've done it three times. Okay. Uh, and you kind of start from scratch each time in a way. I see. Yeah. So you just have to make yourself busy. Yeah. I was going to ask what you did in the meantime. Like what were you, were you working on? Were you able to work on much? Yeah. So you, you work on samples, you, you put up sketch shows or like as an actor, you would perform in shows and take a class and go to panels and stuff like that. And, and it's whenever you go to like one of those Q and A's with a writer or, or an actor who are successful in their fields or who are get up, paid to do what they do and it's like well how'd you get there their stories are always so specific and it can't apply to you that's the thing Uh, i've learned yeah (laughs) so it's one of those things where it's like you throw spaghetti at the wall and one of the noodles will stick and you just have to know when one is not going to stick so it's like um you know if if you're writing a bunch of samples and you can't really get them seen for some reason or read, well, then that's not the way you're going to get noticed. So now it's time to switch gears and like put up a show that you can invite people to uh, or make a web series or a podcast or, um, or a, a video sketch or like, it, it's just like throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks and something will eventually stick because like I said, the reason why people get so specific in how they found a path into getting paid to act or write is so specific because there's so many different ways to get to where you want to be. And it's just about knowing when to switch gears to try the next thing. Yeah, I like that analogy. Everyone's, I guess, heard it, but I still like that analogy, uh, especially its application here of just like, throwing noodles and seeing what's going to stick and eventually something will stick. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the stick to of, of, uh, I guess the entertainment industry that I think is maybe most important for people to. And some people get there faster and it's only 
by luck that they picked the noodle that was going to work for them. That was going to absolutely. Work. They just happened to pick the one that stuck where right. they could have chosen other things that would have taken longer and then finally thrown that thing that mm-hmm. stuck. Um, so what would you define your voice as? Uh, uh, silly and stupid, but maybe clever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really interested in seeing Maddie Paz is a noob. Is that still on Amazon? Yeah, that's so still on Amazon. Okay. And then the uh, right, and then uh, I wrote on the Detour. Oh yes, which, that's right. Which is a TV show that stars Jason yeah, Joe on TBS. Yeah. It's uh, very silly. Uh, it's really, really silly. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, it's, uh, it's like National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. Uh, it starts off that way, and then it's like, oh, no, there's something bigger that involves uh, federal law enforcement. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a fun, that's a good analogy for it. I didn't put two and two together, but that's really the perfect analogy for that show. So transitioning into your TV work, mm-hmm. obviously that came when you had a manager, I, I assume. It's hard to, no, I guess. No, I got, um, I got Maddie Paz in between managers. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then other work that I did, Deep Space... Um, yeah, just other stuff I, I got without a manager and I just, Oh, wow. I guess it's, uh, I'm thinking from an acting, acting point of view, uh, if people don't book things that, that big, uh, without an agent usually, and if they Uh, do, I guess they have to like (laughs) get one real quick. I guess it's like one of those things where if an actor did like, it would be if, uh, God, I don't know acting side at all, but it, I guess it would be like if you knew the casting directors. Yeah. And the casting director was like, there's an open slot. Like, you can come in and audition right now mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. want. I think it would be like the equivalent of a casting director reaching out to you. Ah, gotcha. Very cool. Very cool then. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really admiring that about your story the most, I think, is is your stick to your you're continuing to persevere uh, throughout different sort of situations because I think it's such a good learning lesson for me and for others that you have to just keep at it. Like, don't, don't. Just be a little delusional. <laughs> you got to be just delusional. ever so slightly. <laughs> ever so slightly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kind of what it takes. It's just like, it's got to work out. It's going to work out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got to. It's going to. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what's next for you like what are at, at, on january 1st of 2020 what were you saying you wanted to accomplish this year uh i wanted to uh write on a show and sell something check check uh, I, I guess <laughs> I, yes uh so um i was lucky enough to get staffed on uh, to be announced show for DreamWorks. Um, that'll come out in 2021. And right now I'm a staff writer on The Mighty Ones, which comes out in 2020, which is going to be really silly. Uh, <laughs> really fun. It's very... Uh, did you watch like Rocco's Modern Life as a kid? Uh, no. 
I heard I've heard of that show, but I, I did uh, not but, watch it as a kid. But the Mighty Ones is very like uh, SpongeBob meets Ren and Stimpy kind of humor. Okay, gotcha. It, it's for kids and stoners. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Uh, it's so much fun to work on that show. Uh, uh, and that comes out November 9th on Hulu. Awesome. Uh, Congrats. And then I just uh, signed a deal that's uh, to be announced uh, uh, with Universal. Uh, I've been hired to write a movie for them. Very cool. Congratulations. Thanks. It's really crazy and insane. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I guess, you know, uh, getting your getting that headline and deadline is pretty or variety is uh, pretty exciting. Yeah. too. I, I don't know how that works because I don't have any good pictures of me. So <laughs> I assume that when it's announced, they'll just show a picture of just uh, universal instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats on all that and good luck with those projects. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's just like little and also the one where it's like sell something that was like, uh, it probably won't happen. But like, I'll just say it to say it. And then I'll just work on getting staffed. And if something comes my way, uh, I'm going to swing hard at it. Great. That's awesome. And yeah. and then I guess, is this the time of year when you start thinking about uh, what you're going to hope for on January 1st? No, I really, <laughs> I really can't see uh, that far ahead of me. I'm, I'm lucky <laughs> during quarantine to have jobs that like right. keep me focused, keep me busy, uh, I stress out about like, oh, how do I, I can't fit this joke in without making it too long. Like I enjoy uh, going crazy over that rather than uh, looking outside and just uh, worrying about the big picture stuff. It, it's a nice break. It's a nice uh, breather, I guess, uh, to fret over a, a dumb joke for like 20 minutes to an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is um th that is uh the can be the tough thing because it's there's so many walls you can hit during that and that that people don't power through and I guess sometimes you just have to power through that. Yeah. Yeah. Um but it's a lot of fun. I got um I mean it's the same th I got uh, a second dog during this time. Oh. And so I uh I have sobbed a couple of times over training okay. where I'm like, please stop shitting on this rug. Just stop <laughs> it. And it's, it's nice to cry over a dog instead of uh, the presidency for like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get political, but. I know I, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, <laughs> Well, we have reached the end of the episode. It is time to create something together. And I have a couple of ideas. One would be maybe to demonstrate this January 1st, you know, having goals and, and how to come up with them. And the other is maybe a little more creative. It's what sort of tactics do you use 
to break jokes or when you hit that moment of like, oh, how do I shorten this joke? And you're thinking about it for 30 minutes to an hour. What sort of tactics do you use to sort of uh, improve upon a, a joke? Uh, which one do you like? Which uh, uh, of those I'm down... two options? Oh, man, it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in the second one. Okay. I'd love to hear your thoughts on different directions people can take in order to make a joke work better. Okay. Those are the uh, tools in the tool belt sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of dumb tricks. So it's like if a joke is too long, what do you right. do to shorten? I mean, it's really just tightening, making sure there's no redundancy. Right. right. Uh, it's usually about the entire script. So like make sure mm. there's no redundancies. Uh, a dumb trick to do is just changing if like uh, if there's a character that's only in that script or if it's your script. So it doesn't matter what the characters names are. Mm -hmm. Change the eight letter name of a character to a three letter name and watch like the script go up a couple of lines immediately. Like <laughs> even that'll do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> but um yeah uh uh making sure that your action lines are are three lines max at most like if if it's to four lines just try to get it up okay uh, it's usually like try to find the shortest way to say what you're trying to say mm -hmm. without usually, losing and usually it it'll, it'll work yeah usually it comes out funnier okay and it's yeah uh i mean you also have to like kill your darlings or whatever but in those cases, it's just like, which one's the less funny joke? Right. And okay. And when a joke isn't funny and you're trying to make it funnier, what mm -hmm. sort of tactics can people take then? I mean, sometimes it is just shortening it, <laughs> like you said. Oh, yeah, shortening it. But it's also like if you're if you're an improviser or a sketch writer, uh, if you learned in those classes, it's just one of those, like, you do bits on it. Like, you try to beat it and... Uh, uh, you pitch on it just trying to beat the the first joke and you just try to heighten it and then mm -hmm. eventually the good joke will come out of that. Right. I, I sometimes find when I call a friend uh, and I mention the joke to him, uh, then we just end up goofing around and, and just like, just not even trying to work on the joke. We're just saying yeah. like, oh yeah, it's like blah, blah, blah. He'll say something and then I'll say something. And then we just have a back and forth. And I'm like, oh, this is that thing they try to teach you in improv classes or tell you to do with like a stand-up joke or something like that. Yeah. They talk about yeah. tags. Like that's what this is. Okay, okay. I know the natural, yeah. I know it in its natural habitat. <laughs> and then of course there's always like, uh, if you get stuck and you're like, I don't know what the fuck I want to write at all. Like let's say you're like, I need to write a new sample, but I don't, I can't think of anything. Like fuck, that, fuck everything. Uh, that's when you should just watch like, movies and television and pilots you've never seen before and usually like even if it's a bad pilot or a bad movie there's going to be something in it that it's like oh it could have been good if this was what it was about and then you'll find like you have a brand new idea that like uh you'll get inspired by something bad or good from from the things that you look at and watch which I guess is like an artist being like, I just go to the museum and I'm just inspired by other art. And then I just make my art. Um, 
So I guess it's, it's similar in that way. Um, but yeah, I get, I get inspired from other people's work, whether it's bad or good. Very cool. There it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Really great having her on. I love that advice that she gave, and I hope you loved it too and, and take a lot from it. Check out The Mighty Ones. It's premiering on Hulu November 9th, so mark your calendars. Follow her on Instagram at Steph Strice and on Twitter at Steph Streisand. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. Also, subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. If you can, it's a tough time. We have a Patreon and a PayPal, so you can go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. We also have a YouTube page coming. Check back for details. We have another fun episode coming up next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 